0: With us today is T- Ted Soekinen from, uh who's player de- director of player development with in the Swiss League, EVZ Zug. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm not really good at my Swiss, but welcome to <laughs> the Swedish Junior Hockey Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, grateful to be here and look forward to this chat. This episode is brought to you by Scandlux,
0: your home for Scandinavian luxury products for the U.S. market. You can find us at Scandlux.com. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you actually got introduced to me and I've I've actually followed you on social media for a while. And, and I'm sure a lot of the people that are listening are, are you're you're pretty known in that community and with different coaches sites and not just for content uh, from a visual standpoint, but what I've really appreciated has been kind of the thought pattern and uh you know the why we're doing what we're doing kind of stuff is mm-hmm. not just it's just not cool edge work uh, no. it's a lot more uh, on on the mindset and and kind of the systems and tying that in so we'll talk a little bit about that first of all uh who is Ted Soikinen? and and like before we hit record here I asked him the origin of, of your of your name, since this is a Swedish junior hockey podcast f- by a Swede about Swedes for the North American market. So uh, take it from there, Ted.
1: Uh, it's fun. I'm just, uh, I'm just a Minnesota boy at heart and everything else. I grew up there. Um, my background is, you know, last name is Soikinen, so it's got the Finnish roots where my dad's from. My mom is from Greece. And the funny part about this whole uh, Swedish podcast is that my wife is Swedish. So that's where our, you know, our off season home is. And it's basically where we actually call home. Um, where, is back where, in Sweden.
0: Where in Sweden
1: do you, uh, Go- Gothenburg In Gothenburg. Okay. Yeah. The good side of Sweden.
0: Well, I'm from Lex- <laughs> I'm from Lexan. So, uh, we, we, we joke all the time, all the people from Stockholm and Gothenburg, they come up to God's country up in, uh, up in Dolanat around midsummer and uh, when they want to relax and turn the RPMs a little bit down and, and see the beautiful scenery up there.
1: It's the one thing I've been to Lexond a number of times, actually, I've been up there, for, I think it was three summers in a row doing the Lexond hockey camp for, yep. for Lexond, uh, the hockey club there. And I love it. It's like uh, it's a very mix of Northern Minnesota where I grew up at very calm, lots of lakes, lots of trees yeah and I always said that my youngest kid is uh, my youngest boy is nine, that if you were ever going to hockey gymnasium, that would be the place I would send them because it's it feels like a very family orientated area and yeah. the the concentrations on sport and activities there
0: and it's it's funny how that um if if you find the video there Lexon put out a kind of a um an um, a, an info on Andersson, uh, who started that whole, um, that whole hockey school. And it's, it's amazing how, I mean, I went through there as a kid, pretty Mm. much everybody that, that plays hockey. I mean, for me, it was just um, a cool thing you do during the summer. And then you had all these other kids are coming in and, uh, and, and you get mixed with, and it's, it's awesome. And for us, I mean, we had Nubben. Fiskin Olson as a as a PE mm-hmm. teacher and uh, you know all these guys that were just kind of you know we practiced as a 10-year-old and the A team was right behind us and we that's were a community that you like right yeah i mean it's you, when you don't know how special it is and that's the thing that people i think people in general in Sweden they don't know how good it is uh, until you leave <laughs> So, so I think fun. the best
1: part about being American and uh, being up there, the, the thing I loved the most was that you actually had the baseball. And uh, I remember when we went there, we had our daughter, I enrolled her into the baseball camp during the same time the hockey camp was. And the cool thing that a lot of people don't know, and I bring it up here because we have a baseball team in uh, Zug, was that uh, Major League Baseball actually helps the, the, the club out up there.
0: I didn't know that. I know that it's the Lakes Lumberjacks and then the yes. retvik has, mm-hmm. I don't know what the name of that is, but the two of them are neck and neck every year. And it's been going on for, you know, 40 years.
1: And um, But Major League Baseball has an outreach program that, that covers out to Europe and out into Asia and everything that they have representatives come over there and teach the coaches and stuff. And, the one reason why I really love Lexand and one of the things that, you know, you, you tie it back to hockey always is like um, multiple sports. Yeah. So even though in, in Sweden, I think your biggest, or I don't know if it's your biggest or second biggest after hockey would be like football and any Yeah. for us back in the States, it's always baseball. Right. So you yep. have that hand eye coordination and it's, for me, it was just magical to be there and and see all that and talk to the people and how they actually run everything.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny when you can over there where they have the hockey school where you can walk. So you walk outside, all the soccer fields are there. They actually just, just added, we were home in the summer and they just added a a new gym, which which is right in next to the rink and between the school and the rink. And I, I didn't have, the op- opportunity to go in, but it's it's just a new. So it's for you know volleyball and and floorball and and all the indoor sports. And and it was kind of small in the in the old old part. And uh, and then they of course added a a paddle um, arena right next to the to the rink there too, and a new gym. And it's it's amazing how the facilities have improved and and grown and and it's it's really you know um they can compete in a small little town of ten thousand people with Gothenburg and Stockholm Stockholm doesn't have an SHL team anymore and now (laughs) now you got a bunch of American and Carter Camper and Matt Cato and uh can't remember who else uh um Quinville is there this year too so they're starting to get these and they and their family uh they have families, so they, they realize man, this is a great place to to be. But
1: so and I, I think this podcast is a little bit about pumping the tires for Lexon. Well,
0: <laughs> look, if you listen if you listen to the previous 15 episodes, there is a little bit of bias here, and uh um I'm sorry, but but and and my son who plays and fallen who's playing against lexand this year in j8 right. uh that's gonna be a really really difficult um time i'm gonna have mixed emotions um when, when i watch that but
1: but you got we'll the see. Fallen jersey on with the lexand t-shirt underneath i don't i
0: don't think he <laughs> does because he hasn't been over there enough to be able to certainly been over there but but um you know, I'm playing men's league over here and I'm well wearing, um, a fallen Jersey sometimes. And, uh, with lots of advertisements on it. So, but why don't we start before, before we get too deep, I, I, I like to, you know, you grew up in, in Minnesota and, mm-hmm. and then you ended up in Sweden since this is, um, you know, we could take this in so many different areas. I kind of sent just a few things, but I thought would be good to talk about, but, uh, as always, since this is this podcast is not yet sponsored by Elite Prospects, they should, uh, right. but I always go to Elite Prospects. And and so you have um, two flags on your profile, Swedish and yeah. American. But you grew up in but you grew up in in uh, in the U.S., so I'm sure you're a you're a nas- national citizen of of the U.S. But you are you a Swedish citizen as well now.
1: Yes, I am. I have been a Swedish citizen since I believe it was 2014. Okay, and uh, no, I grew up in the states, like I mentioned, up in northern Minnesota. Played my high school hockey there. Which in Minnesota is the biggest thing that we have. Yep. Played in the state tournament there. We won it in ninety ninety five. Which you know, a million people watching. You got a uh, you know twenty thousand uh, people in the seats there. So it's amazing. And then Did just you, went on no, to the me, US before-
0: before we go there, I'm sorry to interrupt, but did you have the the big hair uh, and did you dye did. it
1: yellow? I didn't dye it. No, my mom wouldn't let me dye it, but I had the long hair, of course. <laughs> the flow? This this is back in the 90s. I had the flow until about a few years ago until my hair started turning white, actually. <laughs> sorry. And then my, kids, then my kids started calling me the bald eagle. Oh, yeah. So I was like, that's it. We'll, we'll chop that hair to keep it look like I'm young still. Yeah, that's good. That's good.
0: For those in Sweden, they probably don't know too much about, it, but go in and watch the different YouTube clips of high school hockey, Minnesota hair, Google that or or put it in the search engine for, for YouTube and you'll see some pretty cool. Uh, uh, they've taken it to a new level
1: nowadays. I know. Have, but no, it was always like that. That was a thing for us growing up. That was our big thing. That was our first like um, stepping stone was make it to the state tournament. Yep. We did, you know, we, we won it to 95 and then in 96, we lost in the semifinals in the longest game ever seven overtimes to Apple Valley. Wow. It's still the longest game in uh, U.S. history. I believe at this moment, they just made a documentary about the game last year. So it's pretty cool. You can check that out. And then well, du- uh, no, so
0: Duluth high school, um, pretty prominent, uh, in Minnesota Duluth area, right? Duluth East. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, so and then, how'd you end up in Lincoln Stars um, in the USHL? No, I was,
1: I was, I was getting looked at by colleges uh, for you know, in, while I was in high school. But um, my stature, my height, and stuff was a little bit smaller, Still is small, and uh, everybody was like, you know, we like you, we like what we see, but um, you know, you need a year seasoning. So I went to the USHL to play for the Lincoln Stars. I was drafted by them. Uh, they were an expansion team that coming season, and had a wonderful coaching staff and uh, Steve Johnson and Chad Johnson. And they put us together. It was a tight bunch, to be honest. Our when we got there, the rink wasn't even done in Lincoln. It wasn't. It was. Uh, they used it for the state fair and was a horse stable, basically. <laughs> so when we got there, we, um, all the players we actually had to help build the stadium that was like our work our jobs so we were putting the seats in, cleaning it up you know doing all kinds of stuff and um, nothing was expected of us that year we were you know getting compared to the Omaha Lancers who was our neighbor there uh, we were being compared to them like they went 0-60 their first year in this in the USHL way back when so it was amazing because we had a couple guys that were transferring D1 schools So they had to play a year of juniors with us, uh, Derek Reynolds and Ryan Binkirk. And they really took us by the horns. Like they really guided us as seniors on that um, team, leadership-wise. And we went on to set the expansion record. I think we only lost 13 games that season. Uh, We took second place overall. And then we actually, we missed the Anderson Cup by a couple points to Des Moines. And then we ended up winning the Clark Cup, the USHL championship that year. <laughs> swept the Green Bay gamblers, which I mean it's like I started to get a little bit of chills now when you just I was gonna say nobody nobody
0: can take that away from you ever.
1: No, we got a nice ring to have that you know have that still and it was it was an amazing time. it was an amazing group of players and we're all still in contact because that that year was just special.
0: Were, were you uh so did you do your your extra year in high school? In Minnesota, I,
1: I gradu, no, I graduated high school. So this is like back in the nineties, like it wasn't known like, especially for Minnesota kids, you weren't going to juniors earlier. Nobody okay. did. So Minnesota what what age? Were you,
0: what age were you when you went to juniors? Were you eighteen?
1: Eighteen. Okay, and then
0: you played one year of juniors, and then yeah. So you could have played so, two more years of juniors
1: over there. Yeah, I could have. Um, but it was. Um, I played one about a month and a half into the season, I signed my letter of intent to go university in the, or you know, Nebraska, yeah. university, of Alaska, Anchorage, the Seawolves who played D one at WCHA at that time. Yeah. And the reason why I chose it was because, uh, Dean Talafis, who was our coach, you know, had a very good recruiting, um, spiel to us. And yeah. all my friends that were from Minnesota that were playing juniors at the time were going up. So we had 12 freshmen that went up that year, the year after. So, yeah, we went there and didn't go as great as it was supposed to. And
0: uh <laughs> You were on a roll and you're thinking, Man, it's just gonna keep
1: on this is just the way it is. Yeah, how do you you know you're like you're going from what um high school champ to junior champ and you're like, Okay, now we're gonna go in there and roll this going and then just <laughs> the bottom fell out. But I stayed there for two and a half years before I I you know coach and I clashed. I was young. I was dumb. And I was like, it's, it's over. I'm going to test my way into the pros. So I went over to Europe. Yeah. So let's much fast- to the dismay of my parents. Uh, I I'm, say that.
0: I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, um, uh, <laughs> life, like I, 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 uh, I told someone in, in, uh, in a previous podcast and, uh, and it, it's kind of how it was for me. Life's a life. Life's like the game of Plinko where, you know, you have all these some people, if you want to be fancy, you you kind of have your linear approach and then you have life. Reality is more more right. variable and everybody has a linear path in their mind. And I'm sure that that was where you were high school to juniors to college. And you're going to do this, then you're going to do that. And then you're going to do this. And then the next is, you know, Stanley Cup champions. <clears throat>
1: that was the goal right but then in the mid 90s like the the landscape of what was being played in the nhl and all that wasn't um exactly you know fit for myself yeah so kind of like you know in juniors i was getting i i was speaking with the new york islanders a little bit um through the drafts and stuff like that but ultimately never got drafted and um when i decided at christmas time i was like okay I've had friends that played over in Europe. Um, they're like, it's big rink, it's it's decent money, blah blah blah. So I was like, okay, what was I twenty years old? And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and I got on the airplane. I went to Amsterdam and told my parents right before I left. And that was a very hard conversation, to be honest. Wow. And uh, they were not they were not happy about that. But I went to Amsterdam and we went there and played for the final four months of the season. We won the championship. And after that, it was just kind of like a free fall. Like just, you know, I I figured, you know what? I'm good at the game. I am what I am pretty much. And let's go experience Europe for free and get paid a little bit. And I mean, I, I can't argue with it. I was in Italy. I was in Amsterdam. I was in Germany. I was in Sweden. And ultimately just fell in love with the European way of life and how everything was. And yeah, the rest is history.
0: Yeah yeah. So uh and I saw fall, first year in uh, in Sweden fall shipping so I, I sent you the episode with uh, Ian gately so uh he who's who he was playing there in the last 3 seasons um yeah. Now they really tighten up the the immigration uh requirements in Sweden is really creating some problems for for foreign especially US players where they mm-hmm. have to have a a proper immigration status. Uh they can't just go over there and and come on over under a, a a visitor's visa, and then and then sign. Now you actually have to before you can get a transfer approved. You have to have a proper immigration. Uh, so fall shopping. I've been to that rink, the the Blue Riders. Um, yeah, I started up- that
1: season off in uh, Krihansta, actually. Oh, okay. And yeah, that was a that was a piece of work. To be honest, it was my first time in in Sweden. And, End up in Klehanstad. I missed the train off there because it doesn't spell it the same way you pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking, I remember being in Mongna or actually in Copenhagen, get on the train. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take a ticket to the Christianstad. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. I get on the train. I ended up in Karls Krona which was the end of the line. And I asked the lady, the bus lady, I was like, uh, or the train lady, I was like, where's this place? And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. That's like three stops back. So you got to get, and I had all my hockey bag and sticks. I'm like, well, Christian says she goes, sorry, it's uh, Krehansta. I'm like, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: man, you even have the accent now, so it's good.
1: And the same thing happened in Fall Shepin. I I missed that train because everything it's like Falk Falk Open there. Yeah, like, where am I going? No, I was uh, I was in Krehansta, and we were there for like the the first month. It was me and a couple other imports. We were there, and we were doing well. And you know, then money time came, and yeah. Things that so, get uh, taken care of.
0: Yeah, and 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 uh, everybody comes over thinking, Man, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make really good money. And then they realize that it's not necessarily the case. You may get free housing and some meals and to, yeah, you but even to we get have, a
1: job. Yeah, but even we had like I, I was paid as a full timer. Like yeah. I had a pretty decent salary, but then end of August and payments didn't come through. Oh man, that sucks. And then my agent uh, was like, "All right," because technically they broke the contract and everything else. And then obviously you need some money to survive. I went up the. They said we go up the fellowship and then we'll take care of the other stuff on the back end. I just wanted to play; it didn't matter. Yeah. So we went up the fellowship and we played that season for uh, Bjorn uh, Bjorn Elund and it was amazing year great group of guys and a few guys from hivda came and uh we moved the team up the division that year and then um you know i was never like the highest leagues it wasn't the shl it wasn't the else Svenska. but i always tell players like sometimes you know you're not going to make it there and but the experiences of just being able to you know see the different cultures and immerse yourself in that to make new friends for life it's uh, you can't put money on that, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, and it must have been a little bit special. I guess that's the, the 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 standard thing. You you meet some, you meet a girl, and then you end up staying, and now you're a Swede.
1: Yeah, I'm a Swede, and that's and that's the funny thing because like uh, I do have two passports, like you mentioned earlier, but I identify as a Swede anywhere I'm at because the Americans, when it's kind of like, yeah, really, I'm like, no, I'm a Swede. It was the same thing when we did, uh, I was in Russia for the last five years in the KHL coaching. Yeah. And when we went to go do our visas and everything else in Gothenburg, uh, they're like, oh, if you do your American passport, you got this and this and this. I'm like, no, I'll do my Swedish. Yeah, but you have these different kind of like benefits. I'm like, let me put it this way. If things go bad, I don't want to be an American. when I'm. Yeah, bad.
0: yeah, yeah. That's right.
1: <laughs> and then my last year there, it, things went bad trying to get out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're you're happy to be a swede then i'm sure so
1: very happy
0: <laughs> so let's let's uh, transition a little bit you you go into coaching so you, you you play a few years live in life and at some point you realize what am i going to do the rest of my life right
1: well that was the thing so i i had uh my last year was at hessel home and we moved the team up that year as well, up to the next division with, uh, Christoph Dreberg as our coach. But the year before that in Germany, I hurt my knee pretty bad and I rehabbed that pretty good. I came back because Dreberg was my coach in Krihansta the two years before that. And he contacted me after my German, my German season. I was like, we want you to come back. I want you to play for me. So I went back uh, to Sweden and, uh, yeah, we he put together a great team and a great the organization was good and we moved the team up. But the last month there going at the playoff uh to go up, uh, I just wrecked my knee again. I was like, this is it, I'm done. I'm not gonna do it. Even though I was only 25, 26 at that time, I was like, ah, I I want to be able to do something later in my life, and I'm not making you know life-changing money as it is. No. So I went back to the States and uh, went back to finish my degree. And a good friend of mine, he worked for USA Hockey and he was my trainer uh, off ice when I was up in uh, Alaska, actually. And during the off seasons, Steve McSwain took me under his wing and told me to be his assistant coach for under 18 digits, triple So I did that for a season as an, as an assistant coach. And then the year after I took over as the head coach for three years. I was doing uh, head coaching for under 18s, and I coached the high school team in Diamond High School up in Alaska. And we won three championships for the under for the high school championships as uh, a high school championships there. And then the team was actually nationally ranked for our under 18s. And then,
0: so how, so how was that in in as a making that transition into, tough. into not being a player, but actually now being a coach.
1: Very tough. And it wasn't tough on the side of, I was young in, in that sense. I was young, but I had a good mentor in Steve. The, the hard part for me was like, it's that, that competitiveness. Because you see something that's going on, on the ice and you want to be able to change it, but then you understand you can't do anything about it. So it was almost feeling like you're handcuffed. So it was a whole emotional kind of like thing it was more the difficult part about uh, transitioning from playing to coaching was the emotion part. So,
0: so I I, I pulled a, a a quote in here that I wanted to I wanted to put in here, but it says, "quote Adaptation to training takes stimuli. You can't force adaptation to happen faster than the athlete's current level of trainability and physical ability." Which I thought was, and I think I reposted it on Twitter or something. But, but I thought it was pretty profound. Where does that come from? Or is that something that? just
1: through the years right so i mean i went into coaching coaching and then you know you're starting to see like you had all the power skating and all that stuff and then i got into more like developing like reading about stuff about like how do people actually learn right it's more like on the teacher side of stuff so i had to change my mindset to think differently then i went to neuroscience so i got my neuroscience degree because i wanted to know how the brain worked And when you look at the landscape today, um, you see kids that are able to do amazing things on their edges or with the pucks. And I, you know, I can't do that stuff. But then again, it's like, but does it transfer to the game? And when you're looking at like the the training and the stimuli, like you just uh, uh, read, it's all about everybody wants something today. So, when I look at it, it's like, okay, but it's a process. It's a long-term development. That's what we're always looking at. If I get it today, if I don't get it today, sorry, I may get it in five days. I may get it in one month later. I'm trying to plant that seed into the players. And at the same time, when you're planting that seed, you got to variable that that training environment that you have. So it matches where they're actually at maturely, you know, physically, everything, mentally. And if you try to rush that process, all you're going to get is a frustrated hockey player. And we don't need that.
0: So, how does, how does, what's your thoughts on the, I mean, we used to talk about it um, when I was coaching and I coached at, at just at the youth level here locally. And, and the biggest thing was, um, was the difference in players' ability to commit, um, you know, at the, at the U14, U16, U18 level. And I'm sure you saw that when you came back as a coach where you have some people that, that have they may have talent but they're just not bought in they may not be be committed and some of it could be man they're a lacrosse player and they're really committed to lacrosse or they may not have the family dynamics where the family's committed and lots and lots of different reasons for not being committed but you know you whether you call it buy-in or what what different ways of when I say commitment what do you what what comes into your mind when you hear that? I think I, I think you nailed it, though. It's, it's the social
1: dynamic part about it. All it takes about it is where are they coming from. Yeah. Right? So if I take a North American kid or if I take a European kid versus a Russian or Eastern Bloc kid, I can tell you firsthand, five years in Russia, you see kids that are committed at 10 years old but their motivation is a little bit different than what ours would be. So their motivation is like their, their parents are committed to, you know, making sure they're at the rink, making sure they have the equipment, making sure everything's good. They're making sure that they're outside doing extra stuff, but that's where I call it the social part, because the social part about that is that in Russia, if, if you make it into the KHL or you make it beyond the KHL, even to the KHL, you're making good money. Yeah, It's life changing money for a Russian you go get an education in school, you're good to make about $500 a month, 600 bucks a month. That's the average. So the dynamics are completely different. Now you're looking at Europeans. Like we always do this comparison. is like, we're we're in a pretty good area to live. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, if I make it in sport, yeah, sure. I make some good money. I might be get some of that little bit of fame in it. But if I don't, I'm still going to have a good life. And it's you know in, in North America we have the same thing, but I believe in North America it's more of the dream to play in the NHL. You know, it's that it's not so much the money that's going to be. It's like the the pride to put on the NHL jersey and say you've been there. Yeah, you know? and that's why you that, see like, that a brand. lot of of the North Americans. Yeah, the,
0: of, that brand is so strong. I mean, the brand of, uh, and it goes back the history. The um, I mean, I, I I I would argue that the if you ask the the 16-year-old Swedish player, the majority of them are, are gonna say, What's your goal? They're gonna say to play in the NHL. They don't say, I want to win the Swedish SHL title. I don't it's not about winning an Olympic gold. It's about playing in the NHL.
1: No, the brand is so big, but I also believe there's a different desire for a North American to be on that NHL roster to be on that bench i don't know what it is because at 2006 we had a a usa hockey coaching convention scotty bowman was talking and he was obviously at that time coaching um, the red wings and he had he for all those years he had the russian five he had the 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 swedes uh, lidstrom and everybody there and they asked him like if they if he could pick his roster. What would he confronted or what would what would he make it out of? And he goes, "It'd be twenty North Americans." And the reason why is because the North American player wants to be is just honored to be there and will give you everything they have, even if they get one second or twenty minutes on the ice. Whereas a European player is not happy unless they're having eighteen to twenty minutes on ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's like a different mind thought there, you know, as well. Like the mindset's a little bit different.
0: So let's go back to this issue about the the different uh, levels of trainability and physical ability. Um, how do you? So was that frustrating too? Where and and if you mix in then the 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 persons or the players' um, commitment or or buy-in, did you see a lot of that when you came back first few years of coaching? Where you could see this person's got the physical ability or they may have the they should have the trainability but they're just not there
1: you know what when i first came uh from from playing to uh, to coaching i'll be 100% uh transparent with you i was ignorant to it i i, I didn't know like it was wow that's great you, you just play and you just you, you just coach, sorry. You just coach and you let the players play. And it was kind of like, okay, we're trying to win. We're trying to win. It wasn't until I matured, you know, I came back to Europe. And then, you know, we started working in the clubs. And where it really dawned on me, it was more like, all right, what's really important here? Because the North American way, right? So when we have our juniors, we're not connected to anybody. It's not like Lexon yep. where you can be from under six all the way to the pro. Yep. We have tryouts all the time for under 18s under 16s as you, as you've noticed yep so the the one thing that you don't have in north america is you don't have that commitment to the club anymore because if that team doesn't want me fine i'll go to the next team if my friends are going there i'm going there it's like it's it's just jumping so that's why i was kind of like very ignorant to it all i was like okay let's win that all cost us just let's have a successful season at these times but when i got to europe is when you start to understand like, you know, you have the grassroots levels within the club to go all the way to the pro. And that's where it really kind of like starts sinking into me and started going back to everything. Is like, it's not about the hockey. It's actually about connecting with the person. Yeah. So it didn't matter if the kid was 12 years old. It didn't matter if the guy was a pro. You have to be able to connect on a personal level from that with that person, because if I want to elicit something from them, they got to understand that I'm coming from a place of care, you know, that I I really, really want them to succeed instead of me using them as a pawn, for example, in my game, you know what I mean? So for me, it was like, uh, the first and foremost was trying to get in touch with who they are and you know, what drives them? Because once you know what drives them, then you actually know what push uh, buttons to push, to push them forward. It's definitely a relationship game. Um, and 100% yeah. especially nowadays yeah now is more prevalent than before
0: so uh the next bullet point I'll put on here and it's a little bit of a I'm going to combine two of them what's no your problem. thoughts on winning and losing and what do you think about eight, eight, eighth place trophies
1: winning and losing at what level is, a, is is probably going to be your big best question there and yeah
0: and I. And, and, and let's let's frame it in this uh, let's put it in this framework of um, Swedish juniors at the at the world junior um, team level in the in the in the junior worlds they've mm-hmm. struggled in the last really since Sabinejad won it you know right. when when he scored the the game winner so that's probably been what 10 years mm-hmm. So they've had ten years now of being really, really good, winning the group rounds. They go into the to the quarter quarterfinals, semifinals, and they have a hard time with the edge of winning. Right? They win until they are beat. Right? And I say that that's well, of course you win until you don't win. But I'm saying they're they're. Um, they have a hard time making that next leap. And when you're looking at US and Canada, US struggle a little bit this one, but let's say Canada. Who and 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 it goes back a little bit to the culture of winning at all costs versus developing long-term systems and 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 bench
1: depth and and so on. What's your thoughts on that? Well, let's look at your neighbor if you even want to look at that, Finland. Yep. I mean Here's, I, I, I read your bullet points and there's, a, there's also a thing called competition in there, right? And if I want to like very simplify this, under 18, under 20 pro, that's your win. That's like your win area, right? Yeah. But that under 18 and under 20 is still that win development area as well because they're still young. So you gotta have a healthy mix there. When you get to the pros, it's like, hey, that's everybody's jobs on the line. Coaches, Correct. GMs, there's, it's the whole organization's on the line. And that's what brings the ticket sales. That's what brings the sponsors. That's what, <laughs> let's say, it, it feeds the clubs, right? Yeah. So you gotta be at that win at all costs when you're at the pro level. Uh, when you're at the under twenty, under eighteen level, like the hockey gymnasiums in Sweden and everything else. Yeah you have a winning thing there as well, but you got to have a healthy mix of development in there because you're at a time age where uh, these kids are trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. You know, and that's not just in the hockey world. That's just on the outside world. It's even more complicated, right? You got to take the time. Like I said before, you got to take the time to understand and know what personal problems are going on with them and everything else, but make them also understand like uh, within the game, once they get that arena, it's their mindset has to change. Like it's everything's off, you know, off the limits. Now we got to go on hockey, but you got to figure out how you're going to blend that development piece into the winning piece. But then, as I mentioned earlier, there's that three part system. We get down to the youth levels. You got competition. Competition should be, it's a natural human behavior. And Sorry. We, we like to take competition out yep. of the equation where you told me about eighth place trophies. Hey, you win, you lose, you get a ribbon, you don't get a ribbon. That's just, that's how it is. It's like yep. we make everybody feel happy nowadays and it's like, okay, well competition doesn't mean much anymore, but you take a, uh, take a couple three-year-olds out on the playground and they're going to compete for the, the toy that they want to use. <laughs> they're going to compete for the ball they want to throw they're naturally going to compete. So I think the competition, you can't take it out and you have to have that in um, at the younger levels. And I think Sweden, Sweden does a good job of it um, with their hockey schools and everything else. Like they have the small area games. You're always competing against each other and all that. Um, And USA Hockey's really adopted that over the last few years. And we've seen what is actually created for USA Hockey. There's that competition part. But then, There's also got to be the inner competition, right? I got to hold every 10-year-old to some kind of level, some kind of compete level, whether it's competing with the next person or competing with yourself. Are you going to get better today than you were yesterday? Yeah. Are you just going to take the day off? You know, it's like, how do you hold everybody accountable? Because I think that's where the the cream rises to the top, right? You know, like the ones that have that instilled in them at a young, they don't get that taken away or they don't get it like watered down they continue to rise. And given the numbers we have in America, Canada and Russia, it's um, you know, you, you can pick all those. Yeah. But I think the, 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 the fair comp- uh, comparison for Swedes would be, would be Sweden and Finland. Yeah. Because population size roughly the same. Uh, but the Finns, they have uh, nothing to go against the Swedes, but they have that little bit of a chip on their shoulder all the time.
0: The Finnish lion
1: the issue,
0: right? <laughs> it's real. It's real. Well, let me. Uh, so let's. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's wrap it up a little bit. So I, I've asked this question, but I and I always think of, of this in my own life. You know, if I met myself when I was seventeen, right? Is it such a you talking about the kind of the pivotal time between youth hockey and and adults and early years and juniors and 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 the kid is just in gymnasium in Sweden. And, you know, sometimes we become experts after the fact. And now you're a few years past 17. Oh, yeah. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Still 17, Decades. Heart, I'm sure. But, <laughs> but, but, but you meet yourself, your, your, your younger self today. And you have the ability to see he's, he's now one of your players, but it's you. And you, and you, what are the things that you wish you could tell yourself when you were 17? If, if Ted was sitting in front of you right now, that would, that may have been because of the experience you've had since then that you just didn't know back then,
1: you know? Yeah. Like for myself, you know, work ethic was never the problem. I woke up, I shot pucks. So you know, like my work ethic, telling my younger self and seeing my younger self, there was nothing I've changed there. Uh, That was there. Um, I think the one thing I would say to myself, uh, would be study the game more. So, and the reason why I say that is because now even when we play for fun, just like with the old guys and stuff like that, it's not so much like you see all these skill videos and it's not, it's like these kids can do everything. Like I said, and they go a hundred miles an hour to nowhere. Yeah and they look great in practice they look good in camps and you're like why what's what's happening here and they don't understand the game i don't believe as much as they used to be able to so so in your new role
0: and so you're you're now in in a direct in a player development role which is you're both in role you had
1: yeah same role i've had uh, when i was in russia okay so it's the same role but just different clubs
0: now are you so you're in a skills development role are you also in an evaluation role Yes. So how quickly can you see whether the player – you can see the talent, you can see the ability, but the the hockey IQ – One game. One game. A couple shifts. Is that a – so how – okay, now you see that. Is that something that you can help that player with? And how do you, how do you put that into their into the plan?
1: Well, that was like my biggest, um, uh, you know, teaching hockey IQ. It's everybody says it can't be taught, right? Yep. So then, why do we coach? If it can't be taught, why are we coaching? That's that's my biggest thing. It's like if a kid can't do math, then why does he have a teacher? Well, yep. he can learn math, right? So that was like our biggest. Uh, My biggest project over the last, you know, five years in Russia was like trying to get, you know, trying to dive more into that side of stuff. And that's why if I was to go back 17 years and tell myself, you know, I was pretty smart on the ice, but I could have been smarter. And when you can start to evaluate, like, what were the decisions I had? What am I doing before I get to the puck? What routes am I taking? Am I slowing down? Am I changing pace? You know, all these things take into account, like what our next action is going to be on the ice, so when we were, when we were in Russia, you know, you don't like to toot your own horn, but just from locomotive itself, we took 18 guys and got them drafted in the NHL in five years. And a bunch of these guys were never really thought of. Some of these guys never played on national teams. And so what we do is – or what I do except, uh, especially is uh, more about you take a drill and you, or you take a skill or you take whatever it is that player's game, you want to take their habits – You want to work on them. You want to work on their strengths. You want to get them better. Then you want to actually get them to understand when they're going to use it, why they're going to use it, all the different intricacies that are inside of there. And the only way you do that is, one, watching video over and over and over again, seeing these things happen. You're like, okay, you see, you're always doing this. This is what you want to do. This is what you're trying to get to. And then they start to understand, okay, yeah, that's where I'm going. But why is it not working? Okay, so now what are we doing before the puck? What are we doing after the puck? And then what we do is then we put it out out onto the ice. So you're going to work on a technical aspect of it in isolation just so they can feel. But then you have to immerse them inside of maybe like a passive area where they're going to have to feel like a different movement from a defender or you got pressure coming from some way. You know, maybe you're going to have to stimulate the nervous system by adding two pucks so they're having to do multiple things at once so that their vision gets a little bit more open and everything else. And then you put them in full competition. And what you're wanting to see is that if I do something today on a Sunday and we have a game on Tuesday, I want them to see them, you know, applic- you know use it. And that's where we hold the players accountable towards. Because you ask the player what he wants to work on, he's going to tell you, I need a better shot. Yeah. I got to get faster. Yeah, but where you got to get faster at? Full speed? Yeah, I need my edges better. But where? Like edge control is edge control. We're on two edges all the time. <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? You're always on your inside, you're on your outside. So edge control is just a, it's, it's a hype word that's out there today. The more key point is, is where do I need that control at? Why do I need that control? And then once I know I have that control, how am I going to use it in the right way? So that's where, you know, it's more of like when we do our stuff with our players, like they have video that they have to evaluate. They have to have sit downs with us. Uh, We go out onto the ice. They have a say in what they're going to be doing on the ice, but it's not just, you know, going, going, going. It's when you get to understand about how their brain works and how, how a human learns, you have to have, you know, the heart rate at a certain level. Yeah. If it's too high. Now what you learn doesn't get filtered. So it's always making sure we take those pauses inside of practice, making sure we let that heart rate settle down while you watch a video so that stuff can start to sink in and cement in, and then you go right back at it. So it's a, you know, it's not just doing stuff to do stuff. It's there's a scientific background behind it.
0: Wow. That's, it's great. Um, yeah, it's really quality over quantity. Um, and and then if you get the quality, then you can add the quantity for sure.
1: But that's Um, where you get where the, like we talked about before, and just to sum it up, you talked about, you know, the competition development and winning. I think it goes in that order. You have competition, you're going to have development. You have development, you're going to have the wins.
0: And and I think if we look at like the U.S. model with NTDP, where you can now fund, you know, we've talked a little bit about this before, but it'd be great to be able to have an NTDP insider to kind of talk about it but it's really concentrating you've got the talented individuals you're selecting these through in all the way up into into i think it's u15 and then you're pulling them out pretty good sized group but then you're also concentrating the methods and the and the and the right coaches and the ability to to do something with a with a group itself and follow them not just for one season but for multiple and the results that they've created are you know not just one year or two years but now in the, you know you look at the draft and how many people are coming out of NTDP is
1: is amazing it's the same as the, if I go to Sweden and I say back in the 90s what you had up in moto yeah Irving. or you look it's at the same you, you look at from,
0: you look at Frelundo or or now uh i think if you look at regula that is mm-hmm. that is kind of developing that and uh of course uh Lexan Lexan. Is, is is up there too but uh um uh i think it's a you know it's a mixture of of systems environment talent but 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 i i, I I really do believe that the, the importance of the coaching and the commitment and the systems and the and also the understanding and, and capability of, of, of good coaches is so
1: huge. I think that's where we lack as as, as we go for, uh, further along, um, the coaching education. It's the part that I think it, it lacks the most. And the hard part is is that. Whenever you look at a club and they're going to hire somebody, where's, where are they hiring them at? The pro super elite (laughs) under 18 elite, the hockey gymnasiums. Okay. That's great. But what are we doing from under 15 down? And if you look at the majority, it doesn't matter if it's in the States, it doesn't matter if it's in Europe. The majority of coaches are volunteers.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting when you listen to, uh, if you go back to episode 11, I, I believe it's with Urban Umark, who mm-hmm. was coaching, you know, brought in on when, when, um, Nasland was in Mudo, and they had the resources to spend at the junior level. And then, and then they dropped down with the SHL team, couldn't spend the resources. And they went down to one coach and you know, it's we're going to have him on again because it was so interested in, in interesting in, in really looking at when you have those resources in you know you have a gm you have a skills you have the trainers you have you know multiple people versus one person and a volunteer that they're doing the best thing they can after they've been at work all day kind of thing right Exactly,
1: and then you also have to look at it too is where a lot of teams will do that and then somebody will slip in that one year yeah, and then they'll just say, nope, it doesn't work. We need to change. (laughs) Exactly, and then when you're looking at development, it's like, okay, if we're going to do this change, it's the same thing that USA Hockey did. USA Hockey, it took years. Yeah. You have to look at a five to ten year and if you want to take any better example of it, look at what Belgium soccer did. Yeah, they, they remamped the, their whole model when, um, they lost, I think the European cup or the world cup and they said, Nope, that's it. Yep. And then they went back to the grassroots and they said, it's going to take time and they yep. stuck by themselves and it worked. Yeah. So,
0: well, you, we could talk for hours here. Um, uh, what's the best way, um, you know, put a little plug on, on your social media, of course, um, <laughs> At Sukunen, uh, uh seventy seven, yeah. What's the best way to? I mean, for people to reach out to you and and follow you, what's the best way for them to follow you?
1: I'm on I'm on Twitter and I'm on uh, Instagram at soikinen seventy seven. You know, I don't I don't uh, what do you call it? Put out a lot. Don't have any side businesses or anything else like that. It's just you know I'm out there just trying to spark engagement and get people to look at a different way of uh, looking at stuff.
0: I think that that's the ticket, though. I think that's what makes you a little bit different and special. Is there is no ulterior motive, there is no monetization um, uh, motive. Um, oh. Yes, the content is really it, it. It keeps up from a coolness standpoint with the best of them out there. But I think that the differential, that the differentiation, is really in the in the. The reasons behind it and the why, and I and I encourage everybody to go out there, look at some of the videos, look at the at the um, Texas Matters
1: the most, I think. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean captions.
0: Yeah, and also, but look at the 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 words behind it of, of what what the intent we're trying to do, and I think that that's if we can help as a community to kind of spread that it becomes more about the the content rather than how cool it is. And, you know, certainly it's cool to have parachutes out on the ice, but, you know, you can also run stairs, you know, and and gain.
1: When we're paying 300 bucks an hour for ice, I don't think I want to be using parachutes out there.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) that's that's kind of where i'm from too so ted it's been a pleasure thank you for for jumping on and uh good luck this year in a new place and a new environment and uh, i'm sure our paths will cross again
1: i hope they do and i appreciate you having me on it was enjoyable